Welcome to this Meet the Artist program. Welcome to the first program of San Francisco Ballet's 75th anniversary season. I'm Mary Wood for the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education. Uh, We're here in the War Memorial Opera House in San Francisco on Tuesday, January 29th, 2008. These Meet the Artist programs are sponsored by the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education. Of course, I want to issue a really warm welcome to those of you sitting in the audience and also to those who will be listening to this interview via podcast. This program tonight and all of our Meet the Artist interviews will be available as podcasts if you'll go to the San Francisco Ballet website, sfballet.org. This evening, it is my very great pleasure to have with me James Sifranco. Hello. James is very specially appropriate as tonight's guest because one of the most important ballets I'm going to say on this season, and certainly on tonight's program, is a revival of Filling Station, which is very appropriate for our 75th anniversary season because it brings the history of American dance right home to San Francisco. And tomorrow night, Jim will be performing the role of Mac in Filling Station. And I'm hoping you'll be performing it in the next several performances as well. Um, also on Sunday so far. So. so those of you who have the good fortune of being able to see another performance might catch you performing Mac. Um, This is a special season for Jim because you have been promoted to uh, soloist, Mm -hmm. soloist rank. Thank you. And as we've been watching you perform featured roles over the last several years, we're proud on your behalf. So I thought I would start with uh, the kinds of questions that are pretty typical, and that is, you have been dancing with the company now for quite a few years. So tell us, like, when did you come to San Francisco? Um, I've, this is my eighth season with the company. I came in 2000, and um, what was the rest? The rest, <laughs> the rest that was is history. Much, no. <laughs> that was the question, really, was yeah. you came, and you've worked your way through um, the very traditional... Um, trajectory of core to dancing featured mm-hmm. roles. Everyone has their own path, and everyone's path is different. And um, some people are more impatient than others. Some people are content, and you know, everyone has their own different ideas of where they want to be and where they should be at their times and in their life, in their career. And um, I was very happy here for for. I mean, I still am for many years. So of course. Uh, I don't have any reason to complain, for sure. You actually did take some time off, though, and I think it's pretty exciting for the audience to know what uh, that facet of your talent and uh, gift that's to true. the world. Uh, I, that's to true. To the world. Uh, I, in, I think, 2005, I took a little bit of time off. Helgi uh, graciously granted me a leave of absence to go do a show um, a Broadway touring show called Moving Out. I don't know if you've heard of it, by Twyla Tharp and music by Billy Joel. So I, I got to have another um, experience in there. It wasn't the whole year. It was about four months. So um, that was another highlight. <laughs> We're going to make some inferences 
from just knowing that. And you, when you were in your training, you chose to go to the Juilliard School, I believe, and that it offered you a particularly varied kind of training. Tell us a little bit about that and yeah. then how that's served you as a dancer in this company. Well, Juilliard's a very special program, and college, as you may or may not know, as for uh, dance programs, isn't very popular. Usually, ballet companies hire young talent straight out of ballet schools, um, which usually means high school. So, I mean, we, we have a lot of dancers who are in our company, too, you know, 17, 18 years old. And um, college is just usually not an option because you want to be employed as quickly as possible. Your careers don't last very long. And I, and I was feeling the same way, too. I was at a boarding school um, called the Herod Conservatory for dancers um, in, in Boca Raton, Florida. And I wanted to be in a ballet company right away, too. And I kind of auditioned for a couple colleges just because my parents wanted me to. <laughs> And they wanted to make sure I had a backup, kind of. Um, and then, as it turned out, Juilliard really uh, appealed to me in a way that I didn't think it would when I was accepted. And the director, Benjamin Harcarvey, he called me personally, and he sensed that my uneasiness in, in me, too, to go to school rather than go work right away. So um, he was instrumental in kind of focusing my attention towards my training, too, in that it would still be a good path for me to to go to New York, to see everything, to learn every all the types of tech, modern techniques that Juilliard had to offer, which is what I didn't get um, at the Herod Conservatory. So I, at Juilliard, I learned Lamone technique and Taylor technique and Graham technique, as well as a lot of ballet technique on top of that, too. And just learning about the whole art form in general, learning about... Um, stagecraft and choreography and directing and anatomy and as well as just being in New York City and going to see as many performances as I could. It was just, it turned out to be the best thing I could have done, really. <laughs> I, I feel like I was formed more as a dancer and as an artist at Juilliard. And you've mentioned the fact that you studied ballet, had your early training in ballet, and then at Juilliard, was, well, you were able to really soak up all the different kinds of um, musical theater dance and Well, yeah, dance. Juilliard, well, there wasn't really a musical theater program, per se. There, I mean, there were musicians, obviously. Uh, my musical theater background is more from Cincinnati, where I grew up. I went to a performing arts um, public school, actually, which is a great school. It would start started at fourth grade through twelfth grade, and there's where I, I did a lot of. I mean, I was in grade school, so it's not like it wasn't the greatest productions ever. But you know, we did Annie, and we did Peter Pan, and we did Oliver, like all those types of things where they use lots of little orphans, you know, <laughs> little kids who are orphans. <laughs> so, um, so I got a lot of my uh, theater know know all in those years, too. Broad background. What I'm thinking about is over these last eight years, well, let's say seven years, um, the roles that you've danced in the San Francisco Ballet, and they're pretty broad. But I think it's, is it fair for me to say that we've seen you come to the front row and come out of the core as a soloist in many more contemporary works? Uh, yeah, Sure. Contemporary or, or um, maybe things that have a little bit more characterization. I, I don't know if I, if I feel 
if that's exactly true, but yes, yeah, somewhere along those lines. And uh, I'm proud of that. I'm proud to be part of uh, things that are new and choreographers who are adding to the art form, you know, on the cutting edge of choreography, who come to San Francisco Ballet. And, and if I get to work with them, I'm really happy about that because that's, I feel like I'm really taking part in being an active part of the dance world when that happens. I want to talk about uh, some of the fun things you're going to be getting to do later in the season, but I do want to spend a few minutes on your participation in the experience of Filling Station. Yes. Um, this ballet was created in 1938. Um, Lou Christensen himself created the role of Mac, and it is considered the first ballet created by an American choreographer to an American... The, the score of an American composer, Virgil Thompson, for an American dance company and American dancers. So there you are. American um, story. <laughs> yeah, very American story. <laughs> so um, the uh, history of Filling Station is very rich, of course, in this country, in this company, mm -hmm. has been seen in other companies around the country and, and just evokes that incredible history. Takes us back to a period in time... So talk a little bit about how you have felt learning the part, working on the part, well, how it's going to be to dance it. First of all, in our, in our studio, our studio across the street in the Christensen studio, it's called the Christensen studio. There's lots of things named after the brothers. Um, there, there are all these black and white photos, and one of them is a picture of this man in a, in a filling station attendant suit and a hat and just kind of going like that. I think it's on the program, too. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, that's hanging in our studio, and I never knew what it was until last year when someone told me, oh, yeah, we're doing that ballet next year. And so just to have that connection that it's been, like, they've been, he's been looking down <laughs> over us, that, that history is just there. It's a part of what this company is. And to be able to recreate that role also is uh, just really... An honor, and uh, it's an important thing that we do do it, I think, in the 75th anniversary. We honor the past as well as the future. Um, but An Anita Pachodi has been our ballet mistress on the ballet, and she's imparted all of her wonderful memory and knowledge to, uh, to us. And the way she demonstrates the characters really explains a lot, it, not always in words, in you know, actions, too. So I've learned a lot from her. Um, there's tapes of, you know, various incarnations of the ballet that we've watched, too. I mean, I don't think there's a tape of Lou doing it, is there? There are films. Oh, um, I, I haven't seen Not, I don't think, a beginning-to-end okay. film, because they didn't have that kind of technology. But if you, you might recall or be able to get hold of a um, half-hour documentary on Lou Christensen that was done right after his death, so about 1984-ish, um, and it was called uh, Lou Christensen, an American Original. And there is quite a bit of footage of Lou actually doing a couple of scenes. And um, one of the things about Filling Station is that the, um, it's, of course, it's not classical ballet. It uses ballet technique. But uh, talk a little bit about the style of dance, of the movement that mm. you had to learn. Well, it, the steps are ballet. It's, you can still name them in French. Uh, I mean, most of them. <laughs> um, a lot of it, though, 
the in-between stuff is more acting. Um, there's a couple tap steps in there, a little shuffle, a little uh, jump over the leg. You know, kind of Broadway-ish, little vaudeville-ish type of um, steps. And the acting's a little bit, like, more exaggerated, I- I'd say. It's a little more old-fashioned in that sense. Like, when you watch an old movie and, and they, like, do a big double take, you know, and, and they get a big laugh out of it. So it, you'll see some of that tonight, too, and that's... We're, we're doing that on purpose. <laughs> I think the uh, designer, uh, Paul Cadmus, was influenced by cartoon, mm. actually. So I think the costumes you'll, you'll observe are pretty cartoon-like. Well, I, th- I think the ballet is just larger than life, too, and I think the dancers try to be larger than life themselves, too. <laughs> Sometimes a historical piece doesn't hold up in to the sensibilities of a contemporary audience. What do you think about Filling Station? Well, I, I haven't seen it yet from the front <laughs> with orchestra and audience, so I'm curious to see how you guys react to it, too, um, because I, I, I know it so intimately now. I know the steps, and I'm watching different things. Um, I'll try, actually, tonight to sit back and just kind of view it as a whole and see what I think. But, I, I mean, I, so far, I, I think it's great. I think, I mean, it is a nod to the past. We, I do acknowledge that it's a little old-fashioned, but that's, it's nice to, to dance that, too, to dance that way and to, um, to see that, too. We'll see. It'll be a nice uh, beginning of the season, and then the next two ballets are completely different than that, too. So. And out of different eras of, of our ballet history, um, I'm thinking Diamonds, which concludes the program, was created in 1967, so that's 30 years later. And then uh, Aid, which is Helgi's um, piece, was created about three, four years ago. So there's a nice kind of arc of um, how each maybe has influenced the next. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what are some of the things that you'll be dancing during the season that we can look forward to? Um, well, we're also in this program, we're doing Yuri Poskov's Firebird. Again, from last year, where I did the role of Cachet, the evil monster guy. Um, so that's fun, too. Um, and then Mark Morris's piece, Drink to Me Only with Thine Eyes, is opening to, no, Thursday. And then there's the Jerome Robbins program, which we're all really looking forward to. That's going to be a big, uh, big thing for us because, of course, you may have heard of West Side Story Suite, where we all have to sing. And <laughs> it's going to be a big thing for us. And, but also on that program is Fancy Free, which I'm hoping to dance again this year, which I did last year. Um, and then the New Works program, it, I mean, it, there's just a lot. <laughs> they, every program has something really exciting. The New Works Festival, we should probably just start right now hyping. Um, ten new works spread over three programs that will in rotate three over. Days. A, well, but yeah, the, the <laughs> premieres are in three days, ten yeah. ballets, and then they repeat over a period of about two weeks. So it's not to be missed. You're in several of the new works. Uh, yeah, there's uh, Margaret Jenkins, a Bay Area choreographer who's been, who was asked to do a piece on us. Uh, we worked with her, uh, which was a wonderful experience, um, very different from working with most of the other choreographers who come. And they, they come and they kind of have ideas of what they want and they tell you what steps to do and they're usually here with maybe one assistant. But Margie came in with her whole company, which is like, eight, I think maybe nine people. And we just had like a workshop in the studio with them 
like us. We, we were just intermingling with them and coming up with different moves and different choreography, and she was kind of guiding us all. So it was a really different but really rich and uh, educational experience for us. We had a lot of fun, <laughs> and um, I think it's going to be a, a really nice piece. It's going to be fun to look forward to. And any others? Well, Margaret Jenkins, uh, well, I've also been working on the Mark Morris piece with uh, music by John Adams, which should be fun, and costumes by Isaac Mizrahi. So. Right. Add the three of those up, and you get a lot. <laughs> and um, and then I'm also learning uh, Yorma Elo's piece and James Kudelka. Um, there's lots of. There's going to be a lot of great dance. It, it already looks like. How the heck are we going to ever pull this off? Because <laughs> just doing one of them is you know tiring enough, and to add three in one night, and then three over three nights each night. It's back up to the Robbins program and West Side Story, which you just slid over. You don't get to just slide over that. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, yeah, it, it was a big deal for us. I mean, even last year we had to audition as a company to be allowed to perform it because they, they needed to make sure that we could sing okay enough. <laughs> so here we are, our San Francisco ballet dancers, who we all know are wonderfully talented and top of the heap everywhere, Talk about the musical direction. I think we kind of have been through how you learn a dance and how you rehearse dances and how you perform and rotate roles, but now you've got this added element. Well, we had a vocal coach come into the studio. Her name was um, Elaine Overholt, and she's used to working with um, people who are maybe performers but might not necessarily be singers. Uh, like she, works, she worked on the movie Chicago with Richard Gere and Catherine Zeta-Jones, and she told us stories about them. But basically her whole spiel was to get us to relax and to awaken the singer inside of us, to not be afraid. Because really that's all that holds us back. I mean, from anything in life, you can kind of relate to that. But fear is really our biggest problem. <laughs> because we're singing, and we're not used to singing. I mean talking up here in front of people, you know, you're nervous, you get afraid, and you say the wrong thing. It's the same thing with singing or dancing. So she really tried to just get us to relax, and we were, like, wiggling around in the studio. We were, like, screaming up and down, just, like, letting, letting all our inhibitions go away. So then she could start to, like, hear the true voice behind, us, behind the facade. <laughs> I think um, it will... I know that in your program guide, the season program guide, you have um, a pretty good article written by Cheryl Osla about West Side Story and about um, <clears throat> the conception of a 35-minute program piece. Most of you have seen the movie. You've seen the musical, two and a half hours worth. Um, how do we do this in 35 minutes? Can you characterize um, that a little bit? Well, I, I don't think he's necessarily, Jerome Robbins wasn't necessarily trying to recreate the whole narrative of the, of the story. I think he was just um, what's called a suite. So I think he's taking the best dances and, and putting them into one shorter segment, which is great because, <laughs> I mean, I'll admit, after when I was younger and after I'd seen the movie a couple of times, I would just fast forward to each dance scene. <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, every dancer kind of does that with certain movies that have dance numbers in them. You're just like, oh, let's go to the America scene now, or the cool scene. So I, I think he kind of did that with this. <laughs> it just fast-forwards to each number. <laughs> 
Well, I want to make sure that the audience has a time to um, ask you their questions. For those of you who've come in late, it's been uh, lots of fun to be listening to Jim Sofranco, who is um, in his first season as a soloist with the ballet. Your questions that you might have for Jim. Okay, wonderful question. Wonderful question. Are you funny all the time? And she has um, based that question... My girlfriend will answer no. (laughs) Oh, okay. Uh, We got more of an answer there than we thought we were going to get. The question really is about being able to dance funny parts. And do you... What kind of being funny is in your training and in your background, and how does it come out on stage? I I don't know how... uh, anybody ever notices. I, I mean, I think I was picked for elite syncopations just because of my height. I honestly, because I had, they needed a short person with tall Muriel Maffrey. And I mean, I think that they knew that I wouldn't be nervous or, you know, scared to just be silly. I, I think that's what it's, it's comes down to that confidence thing too. If you're like, you know, scared or nervous to just like make a fool of yourself and I guess you're not really going to be funny all the great comedians they always just fall flat on their face and everybody laughs so I guess that's <laughs> that's the secret and I, I don't think I'm like the, a great comedic anybody but um, I do like to have fun on stage so I think that's what comes through and uh, yeah I like to have fun in life so I, I like to laugh a lot so I, I think maybe that's I don't think I'm funny all the time but I like funny things. <laughs> Another question? I know, I need another tall partner. <laughs> well, we have Alana Altman, who also did the part we've talked about, reprising it. <laughs> and this was an answer to, what do we do now that Muriel is not with us? We do have a number of tall dancers. So that's um, something about having a large company with quite a range in the, in the company. Although I don't know if elite syncopations will be coming back we've had it I mean in the gala maybe a little piece here and there so I don't know that's up to Helgi it'll come around again um, somebody else talk about a part that you really love that you had a specially good time doing um, well there's a lot of those but um, Fancy Free definitely last year was a, a great role and I really enjoyed doing that and I was really happy to get a chance to do that. Um, when I was in New York in school, I would go see American Ballet Theater do that that piece and I was like, oh yeah, I could do that. And, you, know, you just have all these visions of yourself up there and so when it came here and I heard it was coming here and it's kind of a little bit theatrical, a little bit Broadway, a little bit funny, I was like, oh, I, I really want to do it. So, And uh, I was really thrilled that I was able to, to dance it. And um, I've, I don't know, it's just a satisfying piece. You, you tell a story, you get a little solo, you're, you, you're funny, you, I don't know, you're uh, connecting with history in that sense too. I mean, Jerome Robbins back in 1940-something. 44. Yeah, yeah, so. And you get to dance lots of hard dancing too. Yeah, it's, it's a great role. <laughs> it's got everything. Does anyone have another question? Yes, over there. How did you manage to get into Fancy Free? In other words, did you volunteer? Did you say, I really want to? Or was there another way that the casting came about? Yeah, unfortunately, you can't really volunteer. I think then everybody would be in the studio for everything. Or or everybody would be in the studio for some things, and nobody would be in the studio for other things. So <laughs> um, that would be a problem. Um, no, it... 
you you kind of just express interest in in being a part of the company and being eager and show and working hard in every role that you're given. And I think that has to come through. But as far if there's a certain role that you really want, I mean, maybe uh, as a you know, I was not a soloist then, um, so it would be pretty uncommon for somebody to go request to be put into a piece from Helgi as a core dancer. I mean, maybe soloists and principals. I'm still figuring that out. Maybe they go and talk to him more and decide. But I think it's it's still pretty much all his decision. And um, I, he makes good decisions, and he makes you know he he, he casts people in, in the right roles. So I mean, I have confidence, and I think the company has confidence that the right people are chosen for the right parts. Um, sometimes, I mean, I have requested to learn something before something that I didn't want to like leave the company without me ever even just like learning the steps and doing it in the back of the studio without maybe even a chance to perform it. So that's one way to just be eager. <laughs> I think that demonstrates the kind of love for the art, that, that love for the art that you definitely project when you're dancing. It's um, an unfortunate fact that the half-hour time is rolling around, <laughs> and I want to, before we actually say goodbye, I do want to thank you all. I want to remind you that this and all Meet the Artist interviews is being podcast. They will be posted probably within the next week or so. And so if you want to hear a little bit more of this, something you might have missed, if you came in late and want to hear the beginning, please go to the San Francisco Ballet website, sfballet.org, and check for the podcasts of the Meet the Artist interviews. Thank you so much, Jim. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've been talking to Jim Safranco. And thank you. I hope you'll enjoy this evening's performance.